At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up, peeps? We're back with another podcast in full effect. And if you guys have worked in server rooms or are interested in how they work, this is the podcast for you. I got Chris Carlson on as a guest today. And he messaged me a while back and said, hey, man, I'd love to come on and talk some Librets with you. So I messaged him and we got together and we, we did a little interview. Uh, Chris is from the Chicago area. He's been a Libret rep for about uh, 20 years plus. All right. And working in a server room, it's not it's not like working in residential or on a commercial rooftop or on a boiler. You're in a very, very clean environment most of the time. Um, but the environment is very critical. Server rooms are very, very critical environments. If let's say you're working for a bank or a high end corporation that has a lot of information on their servers moving around those servers, they shut down at a certain temperature. Okay, I, I believe it's around 90 degrees, somewhere in that range. They'll start shutting down. If they shut down, that business that's using those server rooms to operate their business, well, they're going to shut down and they're not going to be happy. So maintaining a server room is very, very important. And anybody that's going to design and build a server room or put in some equipment for their customer, I highly recommend you force them to put in 100% redundancy as far as backup goes. Because without that backup, they got no insurance on that room. I don't know how many times I've walked into a server room, one unit in the room, the room's friggin' scorching hot, the customer's all over me, when's it, when are you going to get a backup? Well, you know what? You guys got to chill out. Because if they didn't put backup in, it's not your fault. You need to fix that thing and take the time to fix it properly. You get what I'm saying? It's the customer's fault for not thinking ahead and being proactive and putting in backup. So Chris is coming up on the podcast. Pay attention. Good conversation. It's going to be a, a bit of a long conversation, but that's what happens when you start shop talking when you have things in common with another tech. This is the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. If you guys are in the market for a dual port manometer, digital dual port manometer, the Testo 510 is a really good option. It's very compact, fits in the palm of my hand. That's how small it is. So it can fit right in your tool pouch or your pocket. It's got a magnet on the back to stick on the side of a rooftop or a furnace. It's a really, really slick looking tool. So you guys should go to Testo.com and check that out. I don't know if you guys have ever seen or heard of the Yellow Jacket electric manual lightweight flaring tool. Well, this thing is friggin' awesome. I did a little demo of it on my YouTube channel a while back, and I love the thing. Electric manual meaning that you can actually use your drill 
that's the electric part. You can use your drill to do the work of the flare. Um, it's got a little guide on there uh, to tell you how much to, to, to bring your pipe up through the block. All right, so you can make a perfect flare every time. So guys, check that out. It's the Yellow Jacket Electric Manual Lightweight Flaring Tool. I love the thing. I don't do many flares, but when I have to, I love pulling that thing out of my truck. I actually have a uh, an ice machine to clean. It's not often. Actually, I should say I've never cleaned an ice machine before. I don't even really work on them all that often. I've had a couple um, that I've looked at now and then, but I have one. It's about two years old, and the customer hasn't cleaned it yet. It's recommended that it, that it gets cleaned once a year, so I have the quote approved to clean it. So this is my chance to get the Viper ice machine cleaner in use. If you guys enjoy Viper products by Refrigeration Technologies, then I suggest you try it because their products, as far as chemicals go, are top-notch, high-end. I haven't had one that's let me down yet, so I don't imagine the Viper ice machine cleaner will. So just so you guys know, it's there if you guys do ice machines for you guys to use at your convenience. So the Armstrong um, pump competition contest, whatever you want to call it, Spot Armstrong Equipment. That is the name. Um, we've got over 100 entries. Okay. The, uh, the Amazon gift cards are flying out the door. So if you guys want, it's going on for another few days as far as I know. If you guys want a $20 Amazon gift card, Go to armstrong.com or armstrong, sorry, armstrongfluidtechnology.com forward slash HVAC know it all to register up your pump. Now, you guys did see that um, if you follow me on social media, I got a, a big box of samples from Cool Air products. You can hear the uh, the little ad at the beginning of the, of the podcast. Now, I can't wait to put those to use. I actually found evaporator today at a Liebert with formicary corrosion. All right. And I actually, um, you're going to hear that in my conversation with Chris is actually, I did the, the, the interview the night before I did the job. And I told him that I was, I'd be checking that, um, that evaporator cause I had dye in it for leaks with the UV light. And I, I did, I found leaks. So the, the evaporator for this specific machine is a few thousand dollars. And there's going to be lead time and there's going to be scheduling because it's a server room. So in the meantime, to get us to get us by, um, I could put some smart seal quick shot in there and uh, and go from there. All right. It's not always guaranteed to work on large leaks, but these are pinholes. OK, that's what it's meant for. So I got pinholes, formicary corrosion. So that is a way to get me by until we can get a replacement coil. Uh, field pulse guys, I know a lot of guys have tried it. I've gotten some feedback, which I really, really like. So if you're interested in some paperless billing, invoicing, quoting, CRM, fleet management, go to fieldpulse.com forward slash HVAC know it all and check it out, guys. It's well worth it to get that paper out of your truck and off your desk. True Tech Tools, guys, as usual, 8% on your purchases 
with promo code KNOWITALL. And if you guys are interested in Testo products, go to my webpage, hvacknowitall.com, scroll down to the TrueTech Tools logo, click on the link, answer the two questions, boom, preferred Testo pricing when you sign into your TrueTech Tools account. What's up, guys? We have Chris, and Chris is a uh, he's a Liebert rep, and we're going to get into some Liebert discussion. I have worked on Lieberts throughout my career in the HVAC trade. I started uh, with the company that I'm at now, actually, and I'm still with them. I've been with them for almost 19 years. And when I started with them, we took care of a server room company that built, designed, and maintained server rooms. So I had a lot of experience installing Lieberts and working on them when I first got into the trade. And um, there's my phone going off. <laughs> Chris, my phone never <laughs> stops. Um, so how you doing, man? Good? Good, good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. So we'll get into, I guess, you and the fact that you're a Liebert rep and, and maybe you can tell us some stories in a bit, but it's funny because that we we're doing this podcast today because I have a, a job tomorrow. I'm working on a, a Liebert. It's about 10 years old, I think. And it's a two stage unit. We got a couple of Carlisle compressors, 060s. And what we're doing, mm-hmm. what we're doing is the bottom compressor, it, um, it has a, an oil leak. Um, so the, the oil pan that's bolted up to the bottom of the compressor, it's been leaking slowly for a while. And we've been trying to get the authorization uh, to get into the room during the week uh, to, shut yep. the, to shut the machine down. We're not going to shut the entire machine down. What we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to shut it down. We're going to isolate that compressor. You know what I mean? Electrically after we do sure. our pump pump down and all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to work on just that circuit and leave stage the fan. One, let stage one run. Yeah, that that's right. So that's what, that's what I'm doing tomorrow. And I don't know if you've done this. Is that a I, uh, R22 or is that a 407C? It's an R22 unit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, a, I, I think it's about, t- I think it's about 10 years old. I, if I had to guess, I'd say it's about 10. So, I mean, um, I have a little trick. Occasionally, we do have uh, oil pan leaks. You know, I've not. You know what? I've never. I've never. I've never seen one before on a Carlisle compressor like this. And this one leaks. Um, I mean, like I said, it's been leaking slowly, but you can look on the floor and you can see the oil like gathering up on the floor. And every maintenance, I'm wiping it down and I'm wiping around the edges and the sides of the compressor just to kind of clean it up every month and it's back every month. And I can see the oil level has dropped. I can still see it coming down from the discharge valve or the head. No, no, everything's clean. Everything's clean above it. Um, but there's that, there's that bead of oil right around that, um, where the compressor Mm -hmm. and the oil pan meet, there's that little bead of oil Mm -hmm. all all the way around it. Right. So, yes. Tell me if you've done this on a, uh, if, if you want to isolate the compressor, remove it for whatever reason. So, I don't bring my recovery machine up. What I do is I pump down the system, let it shut off, and then I hold the mm-hmm. contactor down. I get I get as much gas out of the suction side as I possibly can. I close off the suction valve, and then yep. if I'm with a coworker, I'll get him to just kind of bump. There's my phone going off again. <laughs> I'll just get him. <laughs> I'll just get him to bump the contactor a little bit as I close the discharge valve, and then. What I do is I take my gauges and I equalize them. And once I do that, I'm basically left with nothing in the compressor. Yep. So I don't, e- I don't even have to recover. Do you do the same thing? Absolutely. Yeah. If we're working on the compressor and it, you know, if we're not changing the compressor because it's a burnout or it's a ground, then, 
we absolutely, if you can have the ability to pump it down, that's the, that's the nice thing about Liebert is to have that, you know, the service valves, you can isolate the 06D, you can pull it out, do your thing, put it back in, put a new one in. Um, and you can even, uh, with some of them, you have a liquid line ball valve that you can even isolate beyond that. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, you can. Let me ask you this though. So a lot of these valves, they don't hold a hundred percent and under a deep vacuum, <laughs> this is, this is, this is where I get into a bit of a, a conundrum, especially when I have to explain it to people. Uh, like, so we have the compressor, we put it back in after we replace, replace the oil pan gasket. And, um, so we're pulling a vacuum just on the compressor, right? But under a deep vacuum, those valves usually start to leak, yes. right? So if they you do. put a if you they put do. a mic you can put a micron gauge on it, but you're never going to hit 500 because you're just constantly pulling gas out of the system. So yeah, I mean, and if you do, then you know you've got the lucky one. So what do you do you in have that? A lucky what, valve that doesn't leak. Yeah, exactly. So what do you do in that case when the valves are leaking? How do you know when to end the vacuum? Well, I mean, we, we, what we'll do in, uh, what, you know, I usually teach it because I train a lot of apprentices is you get to the point where you see the vacuum do as best as it can. And, you know, if you're sure that obviously you don't have any leaks, obviously if you, you know, if you can guess yourself, put some nitrogen, make sure you don't see any bubbles on anything. But if you get to a point where the vacuum stops and you feel like you're pulling free on out, you know, then we stop the vacuum and, uh, watch the gauges a little bit and yep. open it back up. You know, generally if it's a uh, split system, you've got enough Freon in the system to where uh, I, I wouldn't even believe that you'd have any contamination. You'd be confident that you don't have any leaks at that point, you know? Yeah. And if you're pulling a vacuum and getting a little Freon, you're certainly not getting air. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you can actually start yeah. to smell it as it, as it leaves your vacuum Absolutely. pump. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, you can see your pump's a little mist and, you know, the pump just changes. <clears throat> That's the one thing, you know, guys get used to the sound of their pump and it's like you can almost tell, all right, now it's time to check the micron gauge because I can hear that sound, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, how did you get into, um, so you're, you're a Liebert rep, right? And how long have you been a rep for? Well, our, the company that I work for, Thermflow, is the rep. I'm a part of the service department, so I've been a, a Liebert service tech uh, actually since 1996. Wow. Uh, I, I, got, uh, I was in a tool and die apprenticeship and uh, was just barely into it for about a year and was dating um, my, who is my wife now, and her dad had brought me in. And the way it works in Chicago is the unions have control of uh, HVAC service and installation. It's 597 pipe fitters. And, uh, so anyway, he worked for this corporation, Thermflow. uh, wasn't as nearly as big as it is now, you know, offered me a job. He brought me in. He said, you know, you have any interest in being a pipe fitter? And I said, what's a pipe fitter? He said, well, just come, you know, check out the facilities. I fell in love right away. Cause I was a welder in high school, uh, went to the vocational program, took welding, you know, for junior and senior year. And uh, so anyway, long story short, got the uh, op opportunity to work for Thermflow, um, served the first year in the sheet metal shop, obviously insulating ductwork, cutting, uh, you know, the sheet metal for the, uh, for the tinners in there, and then got the opportunity to get in the union. After four years of union school, 
got my uh, journeyman's card, got put out in the field with a couple of the best, uh, I believe, service guys that there is in the industry. I got real lucky. Um, some of the guys that I worked with went on to be from uh, HVAC techs. They ended up opening a generator division in our company. We are the Generac reps also, so we service and sell Generac generators for data centers Cool in the Chicago area. So um, some of the guys I learned for, you know, one of the guys that trained me, he, you know, he was so good that he ended up taking over the generator division and forming a, you know, a service department of generator techs that just, you know, is top notch also. So I got real lucky. Um, I've been put probably in the front line of some of the biggest data centers in Chicago for startup service. Um, seen pretty much every piece of equipment that Lieber manufactures, except for the new stuff. They have two new pieces of equipment um, that we haven't really seen too much yet, but I know that they're out there. Um, they're a uh, indirect evaporative cooling for large data centers, but we could talk about that. But uh, yeah, that's about it. I mean, um, same company for 20 years. I did leave the company for two years to try a service manager position at a different type of mechanical shop. And then uh, I came back home. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You know what, if you get treated well at the company you're at, I mean, the grass isn't always greener. I've seen guys leave companies and when, when they leave they're I mean, they're miserable because they had a nice job, but they, they felt like hey, maybe it was time for a change and they leave. And then they're like, you know what? I made a mistake. So, I mean, that's my fear as, as I, as I get older and my family needs the income, like, I mean, the mortgage, like my wife doesn't work. She stays at home and makes sure the kids have what they need. And, and I enjoy that. Right. I, 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 I really, really, I, sometimes it's a struggle. It really is. I'm not going to lie, but when my kids can come home to their mom every day and she can send them to school every day, that puts a peace of mind in me that, I mean, I can't, oh, put, I can't put a, a monetary so value on. Yeah. So, so important no, to me. So important. So, I mean, I, I've been with the same company for 19 years and I think, man, what if I leave here and I go somewhere else and I hate it? I don't get the, the work that well, I you're get. Basically you're basically starting over too. You know, yeah. Nobody's going to know how good you are, how, you know, what mileage you've put on to get to where you're at. You know? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta prove yourself again. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, and, uh, you know, whatever circumstances happened, I, I did that and I had a great opportunity. I worked, it was another large company in, in uh, Chicagoland, but, uh, it just, you know, when you get into the office side of things, it's a whole different animal. And at that time I was still in my late twenties and it, it, you're not mentally ready to be a service manager or, you know, to take on that kind of role. You just haven't had enough life experience slash field experience, you know? And being being a, a in your mid to late twenties and having to deal with the egos of a guy that's in their like maybe forty to fifties that could be that could be a hard did did you have to deal with guys that had an ego like I that? I did, and you know you know what's funny is I was I think I was about I was twenty seven years old and I was working so the Great Lakes Naval Base is one of the largest naval bases in our country, and uh, it's it's on Lake Michigan right here in, in north of Chicago and we had the opportunity to bid, bid, excuse me, bid a lot of work in the naval base at this company. And, uh, we, they built five new barracks buildings that mimicked aircraft carriers. They were amazing. Uh, lithium bromide absorber chillers, 
you know, air handlers, boilers, high efficiency. Then we had high pressure steam with, uh, you know, uh, steam to hot water heat exchangers. Long and short is um, we got the mate. I sold the maintenance contract at 27 years old, but so I had to sit in these <laughs> conferences with uh, the Navy and all these gentlemen that were like 55 to 60 years old. And here's young Chris, you know, yapping away. And anyway, we got the contract. We sold a five-year contract. I think it was, uh, you know, it was like a $1 million contract. It was great. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So but now, now you're back home doing rep and Lieberts again. And, and, yep. um, so living the dream. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we're all living the dream. Well, at least we say we are. And then we go home and cry ourselves to sleep. At night sometimes. <laughs> and, anyway. So did, did you, so do you install and, um, service and commission the Lieberts? So we are the factory startup service and commissioning rep. Yep. We do do installs, but we do not compete with our customers because obviously that we sell, you know, we are the sales rep. So, you know, um, we're not really allowed to compete as far as um, installation and um, construction side. But if there's a customer, say, you know, Discover Card or, um, you know, some of our larger customers, you know, Fermilab or something like that, if they ask us to change out an older piece of equipment or obviously add to their data center, then we do do that, yes. So let me ask you this. So you go commission um, a machine, and mm-hmm. you, you have to do it with the installing contractor. He has to be there too, right, when you do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yep. So, and the pre-startup checklist should be filled out. Yeah, yeah. No, I've been through that before because <laughs> we, we, we've had reps come in when we installed them back in the day, and they wanted to see all that stuff. So let me ask you this. The, let's say the building operator is with you guys and he likes your swagger. He likes your, your knowledge of the machines. And do they ever pull you aside and say, Hey, um, we kind of want you to take care of this and not this guy. Okay. So are you, are you allowed to step in and go, yeah, okay, here's my card. Or do you kind of shy away from that? What I do is I give them our card. I give them our card as the Liebert rep and I ensure them that, you know, no matter what, if you choose us or the other contractor, uh, we're going to support the Lieber product. So if, you know, if he decides to try us out, we, you know, we tend to be a little more expensive than the other guy. He may find that that's not the best bet for his budget. He can choose to use the other guy. And if he has an issue, he can always call our service department or he can call Liebert directly and Liebert will guide us right to, he'll guide them right to us. And we're there for him. You know, we have, uh, about 25 to 30 service guys in the Chicagoland area, you know, we're, re- you know, we're there in a half hour. We understand the criticality of labor equipment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, well, what I enjoy and I have a couple of rooms like this is where they put a hundred percent redundancy in the rooms. And I'll tell you one, I'll tell you what, a server room that has 100% redundancy and is clean, it's like one of the, the best-kept secrets in HVAC, I'm telling you right now, because you, you're in it. Anybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're, in, you're, you're working on a Cadillac. It's, it's, it's a well-designed piece of machinery. The room is clean as a whistle, right? You're inside most of the time, unless you've got to go outside and deal with a condenser or something. But you're inside, um, and if the room has 100% redundancy, you're in under no 
fire or under no pressure to get the thing back up and running. You can take your time, you stay clean, and you're working on a great piece of equipment. And I've actually called uh, the tech support down in the States because I think I was putting in an AC4 controller. And for anybody that yep. doesn't know, AC4 controller can kind of can control, yeah, lead lag up to four pieces of equipment. Mm-hmm. And we, I was setting this thing up from scratch, and I was having a bit of difficulty. And I stayed on the phone with a guy for like, 40 minutes and we just went through every single detail of that thing and we figured it out and I was very impressed with um, the, the the support that I got over the phone you know and that's one that's one awesome thing you know and I don't make any money off of talking up Libra just know that I'm a union pipe fitter I get paid the same either way so but the one great thing that this company does offer the Libra product which is now Vertiv yes um, is you can go to Columbus and those guys are the tech support guys. So if you go to school or any sort of training in Columbus, you literally walk past the tech support guys. So you kind of get to know them at lunch. They come in, they talk to the classes. Um, they're so receptive to the, what the service guys feedback is, especially being a rep. Obviously we get a little bit, you know, they're going to listen to us a little more because we're the Chicagoland rep. We sell tons of Weavers. Um But the guys down there, they listen, you know, I sat in, excuse me, on the Liebert DSE, the first class they ever gave for the new Liebert DSE, which uh, I hope we talk about because it's, it's awesome. But, uh, and they didn't even have a class structure or a book or a manual for us to have. He just kind of, it was the engineer from Switzerland or Scotland, I think. And he just kind of sat there and was developing the class. It, it was cool. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. The, the, have you seen a DSE up there yet? Um, no, tell me what a DSE is because maybe I have, but I don't think so by the name of it. So that's basic floor, uh, you know, basic um, look of a Liebert, black ICOM touchscreen. Yep. Uh, but they have the new EC fans, and they also have a pumped refrigerant economizer. So basically, <clears throat> they got the scroll compressors. The scroll compressors isolate with solenoids and check valves. Okay. And if the out, it'd be perfect for you guys. For anybody that has data centers, I would say north of the rust line or whatever in the U.S., this is perfect because you use liquid refrigerant and a EC pump um, to circulate liquid refrigerant as free cooling. You isolate the compressors and the coil temperature is monitored. And uh, you literally get free cooling. And in the new MC condensers, <clears throat> they have the EC fans that draw minimal amperage. They've got the owl wing, so they move a ton of fan, uh, air. I could. Uh, I was just looking at the book. You know, there's a there's an, an excellent uh, explanation of the econophase on Liebert's website. Um, it saves 50% in efficiency over your standard lever that, you know, just operates with DX cooling. Wow. Well, when you, when you say that there is a variation I've seen of this, and I believe it's called an XDP. Is that That's right? That's an extreme density pumper. So you have the XDOs, which are the overhead units that hang over the server. You have the XDP, which is a cabinet that has a pump in it that uses 134A. And then you have an XDC, which is a chiller unit that, creates the cold water to cool the XDP. So depending on what level of needs your data center has, 
your XDOs would hang in the server room over your servers right in the hot aisles, you know, and then the XDP would pump your 134A to the XDOs. And there is no TXV. It's a Griswold. So they monitor dew point in the room, and the refrigerant temperature is kept obviously just above dew point so you never condensate because the XD systems do not remove uh, moisture. Well, you don't want to condensate. crack units. Yeah, you don't want to con- you don't want to condensate above a server rack anyway, right? Because if you condensate and you have Correct. a leak, you have a leak, then you're going to have a disaster on your hands. So, sure, so- that's what the XDOs. There is units that hang on the back of the server rack, right in the hot aisle. So you, but but again, the XD system does it, it monitors dew point, and it will, you know, obviously keep the temperature of the freon just above dew point. So you said hot aisle. So I think that I should just maybe. Um, touch on that briefly for people that don't know what that means. So in a server room, you have rows of racks and basically you have a hot aisle and you have a cold aisle. So basically the cold aisle will be like, let's say we have a raised floor and the the air is pressurized under the floor from the Lieberts. You'll have tiles that are perforated and those perforated tiles will release that air that from the pressurized floor up and it'll, it'll be dragged through the server racks into the into the hot aisle and then hopefully you have some sort of return like in a lot of the server rooms i work in it's just it's it's like a, an open ceiling so there is an no actual room, yeah. yeah it's an open room but there's there's some rooms that i work in where it's it's a drop ceiling they'll have the perforated tiles on the cold aisle and the hot aisle will actually have um grates in the drop ceiling to return that hot air back to to the machines yep. yeah so the, the, the XDOs, I have a room that has, I think, there's about eight of them. So the XDOs, again, are basically um, little little fans that sit on the server rack and blow down into the uh, into the hot aisle, you said, right? They blow into, down to the hot aisle, the XDOs? Well, they draw they draw the hot air from the, the hot aisle and they blow okay, that, that, and, and, into the yeah, into cold the cold, aisle. Into the cold aisle. And, and, hot, and it's great you're talking about it because in data centers, hot you know, cold aisle and hot aisle containment is like one of our number one things we try and push with customers because everybody down here is trying to squeak the maximum efficiency out of everything right now. And it, in order to do that, you really need to give the Liebert the highest return air temperature that you can. So containing that hot aisle and getting that Liebert, you know, whatever the hottest air you can get from the source you're trying to cool is, is you can, you know, really get your machines quite efficient. Oh yeah, and then you can you can you can get rid of more heat in the room that way too, right? Gone are the days of the uh, sixty-eight degree data center. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I go into like little um, server rooms that have like uh, they'll have like a Mitsubishi, and they have it down to like sixty-six degrees. I'm like, guys, you don't need to have it this low. I mean, <laughs> 60, no. yeah. sixty-six degrees. Come on, like I, I always put it back up to seventy, like. So I, I like to see them at around 70 or whatever, but most of the server rooms I, I work in now, they, they, they still like them around like 70, 69. Some of them are even 68. I mean, I, I don't mind working in a room like that. It, it's, it's comfortable for me, especially mm-hmm. when you're, when you're moving around and stuff. But um, what was I going to say? So yeah, so the X, the XDO, going back to that for a minute and the XDP. So this, this one room that I have, they have about eight, eight XDOs. And then they have the XDP in another room, 
what you said is like liquid R134A that gets pumped through the system. So there's actually no vapor whatsoever. It's just liquid pumping continuously through. And what was the other uh, chiller? What was the X, XD what? You said? So there's an XDC. So you can have, um, it's the XDC would be the extreme density chiller. And it's basically a plate and frame uh, evaporator with uh, either an air-cooled condenser or you can do a, you know, they, they don't do coaxial. They do the plate and frame condensers in those also. And uh, you can do water-cooled. So if you have a tower or if you happen to have, uh, you know, some condensers outside, you could just do air-cooled. But that would be a chiller that would then cool the 134A. Yeah, that, so that's we we don't have that. We actually have in that room. We have a couple of McQuay chillers on the roof, and uh, yeah. and and that chilled water goes through the XDP. And to, a lot to, of times, guys will use Carrier McQuay, whatever you know. If yeah. the building happens to have a you know large centrifugal, they'll bring chilled water over from that. So that that same room, since since we're on this this topic, and that room's in my head. What what happened a few years ago is that. It got so cold out. So this is about three or four years ago. And I don't know if you guys were hit, hit by this, but we had what was called a polar vortex. And I, I don't know, really know the ins and outs of what a polar vortex is, but it was like, <laughs> it was like the opposite of a heat wave. It's just like a, this dense cold mass that comes in. And we, we were like, we were hitting almost like minus 40 in Toronto, which is incredible. Um, and and what happened is the chillers, the McQuay chillers actually shut down because they, they hit their, their point where they couldn't, they said, hey, the, 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 the board is programmed, the controller is programmed. I think it was for zero degrees Fahrenheit. Once we hit that, we're, we're off. We, we don't run. So we had to go in and we had to trick the machine to think it was like 10 degrees outside, all that, like uh, 10 degrees C or like uh, 40 degrees Fahrenheit or whatever, 50 degrees Fahrenheit outside all the time. Right, so it would never shut off, and we had to do a whole bunch of um, modifications to the chillers. But downstairs in the server room, if we don't have chilled water flowing through the fan coils down there, they're Liebert fan coils, and yep. well, we're going to start losing the room, and that's what was happening. So what they did is they, out of the seven units in that room, they took four fan coils out, they replaced them with um, fan coils again, but if the temperature Dry of the coolers. No, it's not a dry cooler. What they they put DX cooling in. So okay. basically, if the temperature of the room got, I think it's set up the way I have it set it up is, uh, I think the room's set for 68. If it gets to 75 in the room, each controller individually, it will go into DX cooling and it will use building condenser water to to remove the heat. So that that's oh, their, that's that's their emergency backup, and they have a deal with the building. I don't know if you can hear my phone, but it's going off again. They have emer- they they, yeah. they they call it emergency cooling, where the building gives yep. them permission to use their condenser water if they have any type of emergency where the chillers fail and they can't get that, um, they can't use those uh, those fan coils anymore. So, do you deal with, with with units that are kind of a hybrid like that as well? Absolutely. Uh, you know, downtown you'll use river water, you'll use building tower water. Um, they'll have uh, indirect towers. We, you know, we see kind of a hybrid of everything. It just depends on how the engineer felt the day he was designing that data center. You know, um, you kind of wonder sometimes because as service techs, we see obviously more efficient ways to do things than maybe the engineer did behind his desk. <laughs> yeah. So 
sometimes you get out there and you see it and you're like, oh, wow, that was a nice sale. Um, but, you know, you really should have done it this way. But we do. We see uh, quite, you know, quite a bit of everything from uh, I've seen, you know, Fermilab uses ponds to cool their chillers or, or their Lieberts. Um, so we've, you know, fish <laughs> pulled up into the strainers, uh, botanical gardens, they do the same <laughs> thing. Fish. I've rotted out, you know, chill, uh, chillers that, you know, use pond water. It gets real interesting. Um, everything. It's a, the most, the biggest problem we have down here, and I wonder if you do, is cottonwood. The cottonwood in this area is just unbelievable. And, and lately it just seems every year, get, obviously trees get bigger, so I understand it's going to get worse every year. But it just, it, the biggest money we make is cleaning cotton, you know, 20 years into the trade and I'm still out there hosing off condensers. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's easy work though. That's for sure. Oh, it's great. <laughs> as long yeah, as you're as great. long as you're not dragging five six hundred feet of hose up on onto the roof. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, and you know, the, unfortunately, the engineer doesn't always take into consideration that you got to wash them. <laughs> so um, we had a server room, a couple of Lieberts in it, in in a big giant building. They were called, I think, at the time they were called uh, Nortel, or or um, Nortec. No, it was Nor- Nortel is the name of the company, right? Oh, it's, a, it's, it's a com- yeah. communications company, giant building. Yep. And I got called out in the middle of the night. And um, I think I impressed my boss with this because I was only like a third or fourth year apprentice. And I just, I just kind of threw it out there. So we had a condenser fan motor fail on the condenser, right? And, and it was the middle of the summer. And even at two in the morning, it was, it was like the humidity was just like, you, you were so sticky. Right. And, um, I'm like the condenser fan motor's dead and I'm on the phone with him and he's still at the office at two in the morning, which was, which I found was kind of weird. Um, and I'm like, well, how about we set a sprinkler underneath the condenser and we use the sprinkler to <laughs> remove the heat. Right. And he's like, you know what, that's a good idea. And, and I don't know if he was just kind of, uh, giving me a pat on the back or because I mean, this guy was smart. He, he would have probably have done this in his, in his career at some point. So I went back to the shop, grabbed a whole bunch of hoses, a sprinkler, and I set it up and it worked. And it was like five in the morning before I got out of there, but it worked until we got the, uh, you know condens- and some guys fan. might be listening and be like, you know, why, why do you go through all that trouble? Well, you know, this is, these machines are running equipment that's as critical or more critical than like meat in a cooler. You know, this stuff can't shut down or these servers, you know, cost hundreds of thousands, if not more than that to replace. You know? Can can you imagine if the server room that ran Netflix shut down right now because the, the guy wasn't doing the maintenance properly on the, on the Liebert's <laughs> cool that room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I've been in the scenario where there's, they're in meltdown. I've been in the scenario where the FM 200 system's gone off. I've, I've been in the flooding scenario where there's water coming in. It's just, it's all going to happen. It's just a matter of how you deal with it. You know, it, it, it's going to happen to every customer. And you said FM. Good, bad, indifferent. Yeah, exactly. And you said FM 200. And for anybody that doesn't know, that's a fire suppression gas now, we had a policy put into place uh, many, many years ago that anytime you work in a server room, we have the alarm panel bypassed, so we can't have that gas, um, that suppression, fire suppression gas being released while there's anybody in the room because it actually happened to a guy. He was putting like a panel back on, 
there's some sort of arc or I, I don't really know what happened. Sure. But there, there was a, yeah. a, fla- a flash of smoke and the alarm went off and that, um, and that's fire suppression gas released in the room. He had to run out cause it displaces the oxygen. So do you guys have a policy similar where you bypass everything before you, you get into a room? Well, ab- yeah, we do. We have a procedure where, you know, we obviously get a hot work permit and in the process of a hot work permit, the building engineer locks out the FM 200 and also the building alarm, because if something goes on where we're at, we don't need to evacuate, you know, the other 10,000 people in the building. Um, but, you know, here's the, here's the scenario that happened to me. And I'm sure your listeners will love to hear this one because I was at a college right in our area and they had installed two new Liberts. So obviously here comes me with my bag. I'm going to start them up. Do to do. I get in there, do my checks, fill out my startup sheet, all my information. And I just, I'm very habitual. So I turned to the engineer who's talking to the customer, the IT guy. And I said, Hey guys, you know, we're all good on the fire system. We're all good, you know, to go ahead and bump this fan. I wasn't soldering. I wasn't lighting a torch. I was simply checking the rotation on the older style Lieber three-phase fan. So he says, go ahead. The engineer says to me, go ahead. You're all good. I, I, I turned to the IT guy. said, we're good to go. You know, you guys aren't worried about these sensors in the floor. You know, I'm going to kick up a little dust when I turn this fan on. He said, no, 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 we, we, you know, the air has been flowing. These, we just swapped out a unit. And I said, okay, here's, you know, dumb me. He says, okay, you know, I'm with the building engineer and the customer. They're going to go ahead and tell me it's okay. So all I did was, you know how it goes, on, off, and the fan just, woof. It kicked up dust. <laughs> the, the perforated tiles you were talking about before yep. were shooting out dust like, like it was an effect. And I knew it because it, to trigger those systems, it has to hit three sensors. So I felt, you know, I felt it like the time-wise, like in slow-mo. So it was like, boom, oh, dust. First sensor goes off. The pre-alarm goes off. I start making my way for the double door. No sooner did I hit the drawbar on the double door, the FM went off, and it literally pushed me out of the room. Oh, no way. So now here we go. I have all of you know, everybody out in the hallway. This whole college of students is out in the parking lot. It's February in Chicago, nice and chilly. So, you know, long and short of it is, I, you know, next thing we're in the conference room explaining the you know, sequence of events that happened to figure out, you know, where the where the failure was and the shutting down the fire system. I was not held responsible, but that easily, even with permission from the customer and the engineer, you could be held responsible, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that, that's that's why we we put this policy in place is we, we let the customer bypass it and they tell us, hey, it's good. And then when they tell us it's good, then we, we start to work. But we, we sit there and we watch them, or at least I do. I monitor them. Um, shutting the system down because a lot of a lot of our panels that have been installed like obviously by an alarm company they they put a key in and all you got to do is turn the key to bypass and Mm -hmm. it automatically bypasses everything um there there are some older systems where the guy will actually come in and he'll take the solenoid off off the tank of gas get off the tank yeah just 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 as a precaution just to make sure and and the building where the guy does that specifically i remember about Two months ago, we we did a maintenance. Uh, it wasn't me; it was another tech, uh, another couple techs. Actually, sorry, yeah, he was doing the maintenance and changing a bearing. And one of the things that 
that I do on a maintenance, and a lot of guys, you probably do this as well, that the electric heaters, I burn the dust off of them, right? Do you do that? Yes. Okay, yes. so so for people that don't know what I'm talking about, so they have electric heaters in them for reheating the air during um, dehumidification. So obviously heaters, they're going to collect dust, and every maintenance we burn them off just because if we don't, and they go to start maybe, let's say the heater's going to start after nine months of not operating, we could burn that dust and create smoke, and then we're going to set off the alarm system. So we do it with the alarm system bypassed. We burn the dust off, and he had the room bypassed, and he had the solenoid taken off the tank, but I guess the building, for some reason, didn't put their panel on trouble disregard. So what had (laughs) happened is that our panel still said hey there's smoke in the room but it didn't do anything because it was on bypass but it also sent an alarm down to the main building panel and the fire truck showed up <laughs> yep. so i don't know <laughs> who's who's whose fault that is it's either the security guard downstairs that didn't do his job properly or the building operator or whatever but our part was done there and the part of the the guy that was supposed to come disconnect um, the solenoid and put the panel on bypass in the room his part was done it got it got to the level of the building afterwards where they didn't put their system on bypass. So it's almost like you got to do a bypass in the room and then you got to tell the building, hey, we're doing a bypass in the room. You guys better do a bypass on your end or disregard any smoke or anything that's happening because we're working in the room today, just so you're aware, right? Yeah, you know, too many times to speak about. <laughs> you know, you do your best. You just do your best to, to try and follow the procedure the best thing to have is a hot work permit card with you because now you've signed off, the building engineer has signed off. You, you basically have your ticket if something goes wrong, you know? Yeah, shit shit happens sometimes, and, I mean, it's happened to everybody. But before, before we get going um, on this, I wanted to ask you two questions because I've – I've dealt with two different kinds of humidifiers on the Lieberts. One being the um, the pan that fills up the infrared style, and then the mm-hmm. the um, the canister type that that has that, that generates the steam. What is your preference on the uh, the humidifier? Steam bottle, the, the yeah. Nortec. Yeah. Yep. The the infrared is nice. So in Chicago we use like Michigan water. So the infrareds that use city water, they're great. They put out a lot. It's minimal maintenance because the water is so clean. But if you get out into the northern suburbs where they use limestone aquifer wells, you're just dissolving. You end up with all these dissolved solids. You spend time cleaning the pan, scraping the pan. The dissolved solids get all over the inside of your labor unit. Um, you can add ice machine filters. There's a lot of guys that do do that. You know, you're adding cost. You know, you're increasing your cost of maintenance. Um, the steam bottles are nice because when the bottle fills up with the debris and it hits the safety level, the bottle goes in the humidifier problem alarm and you change it out. 500 to 15 hours, 1500 hours is what they recommend. Um, I've seen them go longer. I've seen them, you know, go shorter depending on the conductivity in the water. I agree with you. I, I'm not a fan of the um, of the infrared style because I've had too many issues where they've overflowed. Um, or cleaning them too often. I've even had the stainless steel pans start to corrode. I, I'd rather just take so a bottle. For 19 years, you, you, you got to work with the old uh, finger-style water level sensors. 
yep. way back. Do you remember? Oh, that? oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and you'd go in with your T handle and carefully scratch off the calcium between the water level sensor probes. Yep, yep. So that's or push that's the button to clean your drain because it had a push button drain yep. flush. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got I got some older ones. Yeah, on the in the the main control panel, you hit that drain button down, it starts to drain. But um, that's why I like that's why I like the um, the canister type because there's a problem with it. You take it, you chuck it out, you get a new one, and you're off to the races. You don't have to worry about cleaning it with chemical and all that. Um, and the other question I was going to ask you is the the coils, the evaporator coils. Have you ever had like issues with them having like formicary corrosion leaks, like pinhole leaks, because I've had a few. Yeah. yeah. So do you, let me ask your opinion on this. Are you okay with putting dye into a lever to, to reveal a leaky evaporator? Oh man, you had to, uh, last case, last case is a dye. I mean, I have used it. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. So am I. So, so don't, don't I, feel bad. I, you know, so so have I. Not- but the, for the formicary, the, the, on the evaporators, it's pretty obvious where you're going to see where you find your leak, but yes, I've used dye and I, I would use it to find an evaporator, evaporator leak, a condenser bundle leak, a condenser, you know, tube and uh, a shell leak, just the ones you can't find, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend walking up and first signs of a leak pumping in dye because a lot of times Lieberts are, uh, you know, pretty obvious to get to find the leak yeah exactly i mean i my leak procedure would be I, to t- take it's hard out. for me to answer that one i try <laughs> to stay away from dye <laughs> and I, I know that there's guys that, that that love dye and i know that there's many of applications that it's the best thing to use but on a levered system generally you can find the leak without dye i've put dye in about if i was to be honest about five leverts and it's because I was having troubles finding the leak locations on them. And mm-hmm. the first time I did it, the first time I did it was a very long time ago. It was probably a couple of years into the trade. And it wasn't my decision. Somebody had told me because I didn't really know what dye was. And, and the first time you use dye, you make an absolute mess of yourself until you figure out <laughs> that you need a couple of ball, a couple of ball valves on either end. And, so I made a complete, yep. <laughs> I made a complete mess. And anyway, so I put the dye in and then I went back with the black light. Um, I don't know, maybe on the next maintenance. Cause it wasn't leaking like crazy. It was just a, a slow leak. And we shined the black light up onto the a coil. And I was like, just, I was, I was stunned by the amount of dye that we seen on this coil. There, there must've been at least 30 spots of dye, at least 30 on this thing. Yeah. It was it was as leaking soon as like that coil so, degrades and all that vibration. Those tubes are so thin, so it just probably cut through the tube. And well, let me ask you this: Was that unit in? Did it have a UPS in the room with it? Or was uh, it in a UPS room? I I I couldn't tell you. I can't remember. You know, it UPS so long uninterruptible yeah. power source. Yeah, right? yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So what? What? I'm just going to throw this out there, useless information. But I've noticed that that coil uh, failure mostly in large UPS rooms where they haven't switched to lithium ion batteries in the older batteries. I'm going out on a limb. I believe it puts out uh, some sort of hydrogen gas and 
I've seen it corrode bearings. I've seen it. It takes out belts in half of the time of a normal, you know, belt. Um, it clogs filters with this red dust. Um, I'm sure there's other guys that have experienced this, but you know, now they're switching all these UPS, all the battery racks to these newer style batteries that don't do that or they're dry cells, I believe. So I was just wondering if the Liebert that you happen to have that issue with was in a UPS room. I don't, I don't think so. Um, and I'm trying to think now that you say that I'm trying to think of the other three or four of them that I put it in if, if they did. And sometimes they even have it at the end of the server rack. If it's not a large data center, they'll put the UPS right at the end of the server rack because you know, you can fit it in the same room as get your cooling load. Off uh, spot. I just remember sometimes something. we go into these, you know, a couple megawatt UPS rooms. So on closing here, I'm not going to keep you too much longer because uh, what time is it where you are? It's like 830. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm an, I'm an hour ahead of you. And the bonus for me is I'm not in my work clothes doing this interview. Usually I am. <laughs> I'm still in my work clothes <laughs> by the time to eat dinner and put the kids to bed. And anyway, so the job I'm doing tomorrow, I was at this building about a month ago because they had um, a leak on the, um, the 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 p trap had clogged and water started backing up so i fixed that one i went over to the other one and i said i'm going to do this one too as a precautionary measure i know it's not leaking now but i'm going to do this one too i'm going to take it apart and i'm going to clean out the drain and as i took i took the uh the whole trap assembly over to the the sink and i dumped it out and guess what came out fluorescent colored water because there's dye, there's dye in that system, in that one system, or in that circuit, and um, there's a UPS, there's a UPS um, in that room. Hmm. So you and might be, you that, might, so that's you might, another one with the evaporator coil degradation. Well, we're gonna find out tomorrow because we're bringing the black light with us, and we're gonna shine it up. But if we have water leaving the evaporator pan that's fluorescent yellow, then I have mm -hmm. a feeling that we're going to find leaks in that evaporator. And, have, and that's another deluxe unit? Yeah, yeah. And we've already changed. Okay. There's two units in that room, right? And about four years ago, we changed the evaporator coil on the adjacent unit already. It's already been changed. So now this one... What's your humidity set point? Um, the humidity set point... Or, or, you know, are you running in the 50s? No, you know what? The um, we don't even use the humidifiers in that room because the original operator of that um, original IT operator he did not want water in that room, so he wanted the okay. humidifiers so shut down. So are they dehumidifying? They, they, then our next question would be: Are they dehumidifying all summer yeah, long? Yeah, they dehumidify. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, they do. Sometimes you can also take, I know this is far-fetched, but you can take the condensate. If you really just want to play with it, take a pH strip, see what the pH of your condensate is. And, you know, that can tell you a lot of what's, you know, what's taking out that evaporator coil. If you're draining acidic condensate, most likely, you know, that's going to start to attack the uh, coil. That's actually a good it's idea. It's got something to do with your, your dehumidification then if you're not doing humidification. Well, it does have the UPS in in the room, and I, and I I think it's the yeah. older the older batteries, so you you might be onto something there. Yeah, check your fil you know talk to the guys who do the maintenance there. Do the filters get this red dust on it? If it does, then you're probably dealing with that scenario. You know, the belts dry out a lot quicker. 
I haven't had red dust on the filters and I have the incredible super duper. I love these belts. The, the, the VT specials, the, the Libra oh, belts, yes. they, they last, they last like, class. they last like five years and you still don't need to change them. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, the new, uh, so the new Kevlar belts, the, the ones with the, yeah, the density, the density is unbelievable yeah. in these things. Yeah. And that's on the auto tensioning system then. Um, some of them are, some of them aren't auto tensioning. Okay. Yeah. The VT specials are awesome. They're, they're just a great belt. And then you have the Kevlar belt, which are the ones that are on the auto tensioners. And then you really, you're five years, you're at oh. least three years. Yeah. Well, Lieber doesn't Lieber give you a five-year warranty on the belt out of factory. They do. Yeah. Yeah, well, they do. Which is crazy. I, you know, for my customers, I don't know if I could let it go five years because, I, like you said, I don't want to be going out during the middle of the night for a belt or or one of the other guys on call because, you know, the havoc you get brought on you if they have to go out for a belt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. All right. Well, I think um, I think it's time for me to, to hit the sack. Yeah. That's yeah, getting... Great night. Great it... talking to you. I appreciate <laughs> the time. Yeah. Um, so usually I try to schedule guests a week ahead of time and sometimes it doesn't work out. So I appreciate you on short notice getting onto the podcast. So like I've done this before where I cold call like somebody like, Hey, you want to be on the podcast today? I'm kind of, cause I haven't been able to schedule anybody. So anytime, I want to, I want to thank, I want to thank you for doing that for me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for like, I mean, it was a few weeks ago you offered to do this. And then I remembered, I'm like, hey, yeah, Chris wants to talk Libras. Let's get a hold of Chris. So I really appreciate it. And um, you have a good night. And um, I'll let you know what hey, happens. Hit me up anytime. I'll, yeah, I'll let you know what happens tomorrow with my with my black light on this on this uh, yellow water coil. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'll be watching. I'll be looking for the post. <laughs> cool. Cool, man. Have a good night, Chris. Yeah, call me anytime if you get any Liebert or any of the guys you work with. Just, you know, we got a good group of guys down here. We can usually figure it out. So if you get stuck or any of that, I post will. on your page. If anybody has questions, I'll, I'll try and jump on and answer also. Awesome, man. I'll definitely keep that in mind. Cool. Thanks a lot, Gary. Okay. You too, Chris. Have a good, great night. You too. Goodbye. Okay, if you guys didn't know much or anything about server rooms, before this podcast, you should probably know a little bit now because we touched on some good subtopics there in the realm of server rooms. Chris is a smart guy. He's uh, been doing this for a long time. So thanks, Chris, for your expertise and your time and your knowledge. It was great talking to you. It's the weekend for me, guys. It's Friday afternoon. So I'm going to kick back. I'm going to relax with a Stella, maybe one, maybe two, maybe three. We'll see how the night progresses. So you guys, if it's the weekend, have a great weekend. If it's Monday when you listen to this, hey, man, grab Monday by the nuts and make it yours. I'd like to ask a favor, if you guys don't mind. Most of you guys are listening on iTunes, and if you are, if you could provide some sort of a rating, or throw a comment down and be honest, five star, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. No, be honest for real. And uh, it helps me grow the podcast. It's been growing really, really uh, quickly. And I appreciate the engagement. I appreciate the listens, the downloads. Keep them coming. And I'll keep the podcast coming as best as I possibly can.
You guys have a great day. Happy HVACing.